I had a purpose. I wanted to be one of the best basketball players to ever play. And anything else that was outside of that lane, I didn't have time for. And I go to practice and I train and you know, I play the game and you know, I come home and I'd be sore and I'd be tired. And she wants to go swimming. She wants me to take her to the park. She wants to just jump on my back or whatever the case may be. You can't say, I'm too tired, I'm going to lay down. Mm. That's not fair. She don't know what the hell's going on, right? And if this was a game, you'd suck it up and play. I play games with the flu. I play games with 102 degree fever, man. Powerful. You can't do that for That is can't. so powerful. Right? You gotta be on, man. Daughters, Natalia, Gianna, and Bianca. Um, you know, I, 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 I hope that tonight is not, you know, you guys know that, you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is understanding that um, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination. It's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. I love you. And, uh, Mamba out. Rest in peace to Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant from the Brothers-in-Law. What's going on, everybody? Uh, this is Jesse McCoy, as always, and I'm joined by the world's foremost leading legal humorist, Sean Carter. What's going on? It's rough, bro. Rough. It's been it's been very rough, man. Everything has changed. I, I I'll tell you, on Sunday I woke up and I was having a great day. I came in here, was finally cleaning out the old closet that my wife has been wanting me to clean out for some time, having all this nostalgia for these '80s toys and video games. And then my <laughs> wife sends me a text and she says, "Did you hear about Kobe?" And I was like, you know, Kobe who? I'm thinking it's somebody she know. Right. She's like, Kobe Bryant. And I was like, uh, okay. So I'm thinking, oh, he must have achieved something amazing. I go pull out my phone and it's TMZ. Uh, and the TMZ link was saying that Kobe was no longer with us. And I was like, okay, that, th this has to be a hoax. Mm -hmm. Somebody obviously has designed the website. This is not cool. Uh, when I tried to click to actually get the details of the story, it was a broken link. Uh, and so I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's just somebody playing on the internet, not a big deal. Went back to cleaning and less than five minutes later, I started getting text after text after text after text. Everybody talking about Kobe. And I'm thinking to myself, one, I don't know Kobe like that. So I wonder why people are texting me. And two, why are they sending me this fake article? Right. But, 
by this time the link wasn't uh the link was repaired and we found out <clears throat> unfortunately that we had lost not only Kobe but his daughter uh Gigi and uh at that time three other people but now it's expanded to nine people right now let's be clear so the point that I, you and I sort of, I guess, converge in the story is, first, you don't believe it. I'm, my buddy sends me a text, same kind of thing. I'm like, look, don't send me no bulls about no TMZ, right? This, wow. this ain't, you know, don't, this ain't funny, right? On Sunday morning. And so I'm trying to avoid it. And wow. then it starts coming up more and more in people's feeds. You got it and you put it on the brother-in-law page. And I was almost, I almost texted you then and been like, hey, Jesse, how are you going to be spreading these rumors? How dare you right. spread these rumors? Right, right. So I put a little thing on the brother-in-law page, like, look, you know, until we find confirmation from a real news source and, you know, hoping and praying that, you know, TMZ was wrong and making stuff up, and it turns out uh, they weren't. And so, sure enough, we found out we lost Kobe. But, of course, you know, we weren't totally wrong because the rumor mill got out of control. In addition to Kobe and his daughter, we first we, we thought it was Rick Fox mm-hmm. and his daughter, right? Right. Um, and then, of course, we thought it was three people and turned out to be another seven people, including his pilot. And then, you know, some other families, I think it was what one person, I think, ended up having like almost a whole family, but like one person, only one person left in that family, like the mother, um, two daughter, you know, it, it's horrible. Um, absolutely, absolutely horrible tragedy. But it was strange that it took on sort of the life of, of that, that it took on, or maybe I didn't understand it. You know, I can tell you, for instance, I think you and I will be talking about this 10 years from now, where you were when you found out Kobe was gone. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know, but I wouldn't expect that. Like, for instance, Cream. I'm not going to – I don't think I'm going to tell you 10 years from now where I was. And Cream is still here, thankfully. But when Cream is gone, you know, where Cream – where I was, you know, when Cream Abdul-Jabbar died. Mm. Right? Bill Russell. Or, or, for instance, can you tell me where you were when you found out Wilt Chamberlain died? Uh, I did. I don't even know when he died. I have Thank no idea. You, right? There's something about this that that's gonna be, you know, that that's a cultural marker. Can you tell me where you were when Michael Jackson died? Yes, I definitely can tell you that. I can. I can uh, too. I can too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there there are some people who just have that added it factor. Um, and I think the the weird part about this situation is for Kobe Bryant, a lot of people who are in my age range, this is what they connect to because people in my age are younger. We came in. Well, I, I saw Jordan. I don't know where everybody else was, but uh, we kind of came in on that tail end of Jordan. So the last championship and then going to the Wizards and then like seeing them fade out. Um, but Kobe grew with us. Right. So Kobe was straight from high school to the NBA. Um, and, and sadly enough, I wasn't really a fan of Kobe. Uh, I wrote Kobe off very early in his career because a lot of people don't know this. When Kobe came out of high school, the first thing is he got courted by Mike Krzyzewski at Duke right. and they were trying to get him to come and he almost came, but he said, no, I want to go pro. When he went pro, he got drafted by a small team <laughs> that many of you never heard of called the Charlotte freaking Hornets. He I know. Been playing with the Charlotte Hornets. No. They traded Kobe to the Los Angeles Lakers for who? Vladi freaking Divock. So, <laughs> so, as a Hornets fan, I was like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. 
But now as a grown man, I'm thinking, well, who wouldn't want to be rich in their life? Of course. <laughs> well, and what even, by the way, his choice, that's the you know, Jerry West type thing, right? Where he, you right. know, he said, I'm going to give you a, you know, who at the time was an all-star center, believe it or not, right? For right. this right. 13th pick out of Lower Marion High School, right? Who would, you know, and so, you know, Kobe didn't have anything to do with that. But now let me tell you, I got to tell you, I'm from LA, right? Okay. I was a fan of Kobe and the Lakers because remember they had that great uh, uh, championship run in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But when Shaq left and Kobe and Shaq had their little you know feud and, and Shaq went to Miami, Shaq got me in the divorce. Right? <laughs> you know everybody everybody's got to pick a side. I went with Shaq. Right? And okay. and and for the rest of Kobe's career, I was a Kobe hater. Okay. Okay, and so it was surprising to me that I, if you would have asked me about Kobe last week, I would have said something that I'd have to apologize about this week, right? And, mm. and it wasn't that I thought he was a horrible guy. Kobe was, and I think we all agree, that Mamba mentality, a lot like Jordan. Very and so he was an excellent basketball, the best basketball player he could be. Because he had a single-minded focus and friends and family, you know, that, that nothing came above, you know, his single-minded focus to be the best, right? Right. Which is a great trait for a basketball player. But, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. My favorite basketball player is LeBron James, mm-hmm. who is, you know, every bit as talented but different in that regard, right? <laughs> LeBron Very James has friends with everybody in the league. Right socially conscious and Kobe was like look I'm about my business and my business is being the best basketball player I can be and this other stuff you know we'll handle later right but right now and wasn't like Kobe was a bad guy you know I saw a couple things like he had done privately for Trayvon Martin's family and and other um you know victims of police violence but it wasn't something he was going to speak out about publicly especially while he was playing because he was you know about about you know his handling his business of course. And and depending on the videos of Kobe Bryant that you have seen from uh Lakers practice, <laughs> particularly oh. as he got older and right. younger, uh Kobe Bryant wasn't always the, the friendliest person at practice because I think he knew what the standard of perfection was yeah, supposed you know. to be. And he was going to be very vocal about it if you weren't uh committed to that same standard. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, and, 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 and my favorite, you know, Kobe was 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 a fierce competitor. Staff. My favorite is is that he decided at some point in the middle point of his career that he needed to develop more of a post up game. You know, because he's a big guard. He could, you know, six seven. You know, he could he could take some little guys down low. And he, you mm-hmm. know, was getting older, so he wasn't gonna be able to run around him anymore. So one summer, now remember in the summer in L.A., you're rich. You could be hanging out with your family, or you know, Newport Beach or whatever. He went to Shaquem Olajuwon Olajuwon, Mm -hmm. and lived in his, like, you know, pool house for, like, six weeks while Akeem taught him to dream shake Mm. because that's how dedicated he was. Now, remember, you already at the time probably, you know, one, two of the best basketball players in the league. But he in there in the summer, right, living in somebody's pool house trying to get to number one. (laughs) You know, he's just that kind of guy. But, you know, it didn't make him the most popular person. Absolutely. And and even in hindsight, when you look at some of his issues that he had, particularly with, with Shaquille O'Neal, right? Um, there was always a, a uh, an admiration between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if you hear them tell it in their documentaries, it always seemed like Kobe felt like Shaq wasn't committed to doing everything he needed to do. Right. To be an all-star. And Shaq felt like, I don't need to commit because I'm already an all-star. Absolutely. And, and Shaq wanted to be, you know, Shaq. He wanted to be in movies. He wanted to have a rap career. 
You know, right? And let's be clear. Shaq is not a bad rapper. Absolutely. Way right, better let's than be absolutely clear about that. Too. So he might have had a – but no, you're, you're totally right. I mean, they're just totally night and day different type of people, right? Absolutely. And and, and Absolutely. so, but the thing that got me, though, was it wasn't just – okay, so I'm thinking about it, you know, and kind of – I got to tell you a little, a little confession. When, when, I, when the news first comes through, I'm annoyed. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you why. I was writing a post where I was going to end racism as we know it. You know how my Facebook <laughs> posts end racism all the time, right? Right, right, right. And right. so I'm writing my post. I got I got this beautiful theory that I still haven't been able to write about that I'm going to get 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 down. And now I realize no one's going to read. I can't end racism now because we're going to be worried about Kobe. I didn't really didn't really hit me until my father called me. Mm. My father is the world's biggest Kobe hater. We live in remember he lives in L.A. He watched all 82 games to hate on Kobe. <laughs> now, this is how crazy it was. Kobe's a great player, so most of the time he's disappointed. But yeah. every once in a while, Kobe has a bad game. He would call me, oh, Kobe ain't shit. Right, Kobe did. <laughs> My father hates Kobe. He calls me. Son, you hear? Yeah, 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 I heard. And all my father could say, the world's biggest Kobe hater is, damn. Mm. And that's when I knew. I was like, wow. It affects my dad, who, you know, is a Kobe hater. But mm. something about Kobe, you know, even affected him. Where, you know, he was like, you know, now think about it. I love this. A guy who never wanted to watch him or, you know, hate him when he played, you know, is now sad that he's gone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's something about Kobe, you know, um, you, you know, that I guess has just been, been affecting people um, around. the. And we can understand the players, but we, we do want to talk about a couple of the players' response. You mentioned Shaq. Go ahead and talk about how his um, – because he had some very profound things to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, so Shaquille O'Neal, if you know Shaquille O'Neal, he's not one to be easily brought to tears. Right. Um, Shaquille O'Neal had trouble finishing his statement about Kobe. He described him as being his little brother and said his kids were like, you know, Kobe's kids were like Shaq's kids and Shaq's right. kids were like Kobe's kids. And, and Kobe had even reached out to uh, one of his sons just the day before. So um he was like, you know, he's trying to process it. And on top of that, you know, Shaq just lost his sister not too long ago. So this is like a double whammy, two things right. that are hitting him uh, at one time. Uh, on top of that, you know, just in the NBA, if you look at the games that were played after this announcement was made, you could hardly find a dry eye in the house, particularly amongst all the black players. Right. Um, because Kobe had such an impact on everybody. People describe him as uh, a big brother. Uh, they describe him as the guy who would help you out whenever you need it, but wouldn't ever take credit for helping you out. Um, and it's just amazing to see the impact that somebody can have. I think on a on a much bigger scale, the only thing that I can really compare this to, I remember how I felt when Biggie died, okay. and when Tupac died, and for me it was just it was devastating. I feel like for me and generations behind me, this is probably their Biggie and Tupac, right? But here's the weird thing, and I agree with you, but for me. And, and, you know, I was, you know, I'm always picking sides. So, so I'm a West Coast guy, right? So I'm a West Coast mm-hmm. rapper. You know, Biggie was less important, you know, bigger thing to me than Tupac. But when Tupac went, I remember this, you know, Vegas, right? I was actually, right. uh, you know, fight weekend or whatever. And I remember, matter of fact, I think I was in Vegas. But anyway, the point is, though, is that, you know, that to me was big. But also because both Biggie and Tupac, they had so much music still in them. 
right? You, you know, even now, so for instance, 10 years later, people are still trying to bring out tracks they didn't found from, from, from Tupac right back in the day. This isn't the same thing like that in the sense that, you know, with those guys, we felt like we didn't get all we had to get from them. Right. But Kobe, we actually got, you know, most, we got all the basketball out of them, right? Right. And it's bizarre how still, though, there is that, you know, that, that feeling of angst. Now, what got me, though, was, killed me, was I talked to my pops, and then I realized, okay, I got to call my mom. Now, my mom is just the opposite, all right? She's like you are with the home team, right? Just loves the home team, always going to be a home team person. So we grew, we grew up in L.A. She loved Lakers, loved Kobe, all the stuff. I call my mom, and I'm not worried about her so much because my mother, and, and this is why I, I thought of you, the way you describe your mother is the same way. Tell me if I'm different. My mother's the toughest person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Like compared to to, to 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 her, my father is is is, is a six year old girl, and not even you know, <laughs> I mean, my I mean my, my mother. I I don't think I've ever seen this woman cry, mm-hmm. and I mean I didn't see her cry when my best friend, all the way you know, took time growing up, died at eighteen. We get the call mm-hmm. at home; he's been in a car accident. We're all blubbering. My mother's steel. All right. My grandmother's funeral, right? I'm asked to give a eulogy. Me, I can't mm-hmm. talk. Me, you ever know me not to be able to talk, right? Mm-hmm. My mother goes up there, not even, never voice even cracks. You know, talks about her second mother. Love my grandmother. Never had any, you know, problem at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't see my mother be blubbering. But I asked my mom, I said, "How was it?" She's like, mm, "Today was tough." Mm-hmm. Now, for my mother to define the day tough, this is a woman, by the way, I suspect who's had cancer twice, a couple of times in the last few years. And I don't know that because she won't tell. Mm. So this is a woman who I think went through chemo and never said a word. You know, mm. and obviously her head didn't fall out and all that. I mean, but she had some kind of, you know, <laughs> problem. And, and she, you know, toughest woman, like I said, and, you know, and a lot of black women seem to be, you know, just tough. Right. Right. But right. when she told me it was tough, I was like, Ooh, okay, this is big. Right. And there's something about it, and I'm not even going to try to figure it out anymore. I right? forget trying to figure it out because, but but I do want to sort of talk about, I guess, you know, what's going to happen in the wake of this. You mentioned games. The Lakers, I looked on their schedule yesterday, and according to NBA.com, it said that they had no games on their schedule coming up. Mm. They had canceled the game yesterday against the Clippers, which makes sense. But not canceled, postponed it. So it's going to be too crazy, right? No way in the world we can have both of these L.A. teams, right? Right. But um, we also have, I guess, some thoughts that um, the NBA logos can be changed. Right. There, there's two million people who have signed a petition to do just that. Two million people, huh? Yep. Two million. And, and it'll be basically right now we have Jerry West uh, on the logo. I think about moving that to Kobe. The weird part is I can imagine even Jerry West, you know, not having a problem with this. Remember, he's the guy who discovers Kobe. Right, and and he didn't have a problem with it back in I think the '90s when they were talking about changing it to Jordan. Right, he didn't he had a problem with that either. I, I feel like Jerry West, if if you're worthy enough, he's willing to pass the torch. Absolutely, yeah. And, and by the way, he had a little bit of a, a Mamba and stuff in him too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Jerry West was a killer. Um, so that 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 that, that totally makes sense. Um, but then we had you know. And I don't know if we want to get into, um, you know, all my nakers first, or or, or let's just talk about the, the nakers, then we get to the, I guess the the the, the internet reaction. Um, okay. We had, I just want to play it for you. We had someone reporting upon it on uh, MSNBC, right? And, Allison Morris. Yeah, uh, yeah thank you, uh, Allison Morris. Uh, Morrison. Uh, Al- Allison Morris. Morris. Okay, Allison Morris. 
and she's reporting on it. Let's just hear it for yourself. But you couldn't deny how much he brought to the team, no matter which team, uh, which Lakers team he played on. Yeah, it seems like he was just the kind of athlete, the kind of star that was perfectly cast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers. Kavita, if I could ask. Let's, let's, let's go back again. Let's, let's hear it again. He's perfectly cast on the what? Perfectly cast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers. Kavita, if I could ask you. To- <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> all right. Hopefully, you can all hear. What sounds like the Los Angeles, uh, I'm going to say it once, uh, niggers. Um, she later put on a statement, said, I would never say that. I said, nakers. Um, I'm, I'm going to respectfully uh, say, uh, bitch, please. Um, <laughs> I said it respectfully. I said it respectfully. But white bitch, please. Um, here's here's why. One, there's no such fucking thing as a naker. Right. <laughs> Agreed. But two, if she was going to say the Knicks, and she's from, I guess, New York, that's knickers, all right, with a K, uh, the G, hard G. Let me tell you about that word, and and I think Jesse will will be able to to to, to you know, even as black people. The N-I-G-G-E-R word is hard for us to say. Mm. Renee, my wife and I were talking about this in our bedroom, all right? A place where we have very candid uh, things to say to one another from time, grown folks. You know what I'm talking about, all right? right, right, right. Well, you know, you might say some things in, in, in a heat of passion, uh, and I mean the good heat too. Um, <laughs> where, you, know, you wouldn't necessarily say on the podcast, but but neither one of us has ever had that word slip out. As, as, in fact, um, when we were talking about it, we were saying the N word with a hard R. Mm. So for this word to just slip out on national TV, I'm going to say uh, that's not her first time saying it. It, it was shocking. Um, first off, it was shocking because this came out like literally right after we get this devastating news about Kobe Bryant. Right. Um, so people are already on edge and we want somebody to blame. Right. But <laughs> uh, on, on top of that, um, you know, I felt disrespected. I felt disrespected not just because it sounded like she really did say N-I-G-G-E-R-S. I felt disrespected because even in her explanation, A, Everybody knows Kobe Bryant never played for the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks have zero to do with this situation. And, and personally, I feel disrespected that you would even put the Knicks in this situation because the Knicks <laughs> haven't been good for 30 years. Right? <laughs> that may be more respectful, disrespectful than the N-word, the fact yeah. that you were complaining the Lakers with the Knicks. Yeah, exactly. Right? On behalf of all black people, yes, we were offended by that. Right. Now, right. now, the only, I guess, good thing about it is, is that we got a new word now, I guess, that we can now use, uh, nakers. Nakers, absolutely. And, and I've seen the memes, you know, naker please. <laughs> it's officially been adopted into the African-American vernacular canon. <laughs> exactly, A-A-B, right? You know, you, you, you my, you, you my naker. Uh, now, now, here's the thing is, white people, you still can't use this one. No. Okay. And I had a white guy try to say, well, what if I do it naked, right, with the heart, and take the heart off? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to give him points for that. That's clever. But no, white people, you can't say naked either. We're taking that too. All right? You, right. It's, it's our right. word now. 
Um, cause, cause one crazy white woman used it on TV. Um, I, fir- I heard though that naker is actually another thing, but you need another word for that. Is it like a, is it, is it a receptacle or, you know, a container of some type? Uh, you gonna have to name that something else. Tupperware, whatever you do. Um, but we take in naker. Um, and, uh, that's just all there is uh, to that. And you, you ruined it for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the memes are funny. I mean, posting a good meme that'll make me laugh about the word is great. Um, what's not funny is her attempt to excuse herself for what she said, uh, and, and the subsequent suspension, which is warranted. Did uh, you get it? Oh, I, I, well, last I heard, yeah, but I've been out of the loop for a day. I, I, I may only, I want to confirm because she needs to get, and here's the thing about it. Let's, let's give her the benefit of the doubt, which is a lie, but to say that it just slipped out. Right, mm-hmm. a word that right. Jesse and I, being black, our whole lives, all right, somehow still can't say. Jesse can't even say it, right? He's spelling <laughs> it out, right? But somehow she just happened to say it. To me, it's like spell check. It's like when people say, "Oh, all the correct got me." Right. I did this test. I typed in N I G G in my autocorrect, and it would not give me that word. It kept going bigger, bigger, <laughs> bigger, because apparently, as a black man, I don't use it enough. To be able to get that autocorrect, right? <laughs> that is how, you know, rare it should be for that to slip out. But if you're a right. professional, if, if you speak for a living, okay, you just simply can't make that mistake, even if it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. If I were to give a talk in front of a group, of front of a group in front of a group of lawyers, and that word would slip out of my mouth, I no longer get to talk to lawyers. Right. Absolutely. Right, they're gonna simply say no. We will hire someone who is has the ability to give a talk without having the N word slip out. Right, and I've spoken for thousands and thousands of hours in front of audiences, oftentimes about race, and somehow the word never slipped out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and I'm I'm it just made my mind go into a very dark place when she said it because I felt like is that her team mascot name for every NBA mm-hmm. team? <laughs> so like the Charlotte Hornets can't be the Hornets, the Chicago Bulls can't be the Bulls. Um, and so it's just a lot of connotations to that. And I think even if even if what she said is one hundred percent true, and she says I, I'm never meant to say that, I would never say that. The timing on this is just horrible. Like you can't take somebody who essentially was beloved in the black community, and Thank we're you. still trying to process him being gone, and then you're gonna throw. What seems to be a racial epithet, right? Like five minutes, like five minutes after TMZ just broke this incredible, unbelievable story to me. Um, you, you can't, you can't do that. So. No, no, it, all of it is, is bizarre. Now, I gotta tell you, I don't see anything. Maybe someone will report will help us. Um, th- that, um, she actually, as far as I can tell, has not been suspended by MSNBC. Hmm. Um, and at least not yet, you know, we were, I think we're going to delve into her background a little bit more in in the future, because there's a whole bunch of questions I have here, um, as far as how she got that job, period. But by the way, if you take a look at her, um, it looked like, uh, she's saying a lot. (laughs) I'm not saying that she is is, is a racist, you know, white supremacist, but I'm saying that, uh, if you were to, uh, picture what one would look like, it's gonna look a lot like her. 
<laughs> um, so, 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 Allison, on behalf of black people everywhere, uh, you, you kiss our uh, black asses. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking her up now because I want to see what she looks like. Oh, you, you ever seen her? Oh, man. She is the Aryan poster girl. Okay, images. Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow, she looks like. Megan Kelly meets Ellen. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, put it this way, if, if she, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna guess that, uh, you know, and who knows? All right, but anyway, so, so we had that controversy, which somehow MSNBC has dropped the ball and it says weird too, because you know, a, a very, you know, these supposed to be, you know, the, the, the liberal people. I can see Fox. You know, she got a high five at Fox. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but know, MSNBC, MSNBC is, is like, well, you know, she, and I love that she's like, you know, it happened on accident. Once again, you don't get to make that mistake, even if it's an accident. Well, you know, with MSNBC, they've been getting rid of all the black voices for saying things that are way less controversial. So well, I'm actually kind of shocked. They got our boy Elliot with, with his protection. Yep. And, and, and he, he, he didn't let fly the N-word once. He's allowed. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, but you know, that's his, well, you know, his problem is he, 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 he too well spoken. Uh, <laughs> articulate. <laughs> exactly, right? Alright, so anyway, so we, we got past that. Now we still, I guess, would deal a little bit more with, with, with the, I guess, the aftermath, um, of, of Kobe. Where we're going to sort of go from here as, as far as, um, you know, a larger discussion that came up, at least, and it came up on, on, on the internet immediately about his larger legacy. Well, uh, well, can can we? I want to address like the TMZ issue since we're okay, yo, for TMZ. So, a subject of intense debate following uh, the Kobe Bryant um, passing is whether or not TMZ was wrong for rushing to report. Um, one of the things that gives me a lot of concern, and I'll admit that I'm very old fashioned when it comes to death and bereavement and things like that. But one of the things that concerns me is if some guy, some random guy named Joe Bob in Milwaukee can tweet out to Vanessa Bryant and her family, my condolences for your loss before she even knows that her husband and her daughter have passed on. I kind of got a problem with that. And apparently the police department had a problem with that too. So they took um, their press conference opportunity to let TMZ and Harvey Levin know that they didn't appreciate uh, TMZ going and informing the families of the victims, or at least informing the world about the passing of these folks before they had an opportunity to inform the families of the victims. And so what happened on social media is a lot of people came to TMZ's defense and said, well, they're a news agency and they have one job and they try to be first and they're typically right. And this is what they're trying to do. They rush to get the information out there. And it's the police department's fault for having somebody who's leaking information to TMZ. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily what happened. I would guess it is because I also know that typically first responders are grossly underpaid. And I think TMZ, from what I've heard from friends of mine who are involved in more salacious industries than I am, I have heard that TMZ, if you have the right text, uh, text 
dialogue or if you have the right pictures or whatever. I heard that TMZ pays very handsomely. Uh, And so I can imagine that somebody who has this information about the helicopter crash that took Kobe Bryant, uh, if they have that scoop, they probably did get paid handsomely, uh, way more than what they make as a first responder. So no, it's no, pop. You know, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, and, and I don't really expect TMZ to be held to any standards of decorum and journalism. And part no. of the problem is probably the rest of us. Right. Right. Is that, you know, Mm -hmm. we we all jumped in to go ahead and, you know, people start passing this stuff around from TMZ. And maybe the idea would be like, if if TMZ has news first, uh, maybe there's there's a reason for that. Right. Maybe maybe Mm -hmm. that, you know, NBC is just waiting to, you know, for the family to be notified, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we probably should, you know, just use our own discretion and say, look, we're not going to report to TMZ, you know, breaking stuff. Because think about it. Why would TMZ pay the money? Because they got all those, you know, website hits. And right. imagine Sunday probably is their biggest day ever. I'm sure. I'm that's sure. ad revenue and all that stuff. But, you know, that's the rest of us passing that stuff around. And so maybe, you know, we'll do our part and, you know, and wait until – because think about it. The sad news is is that – it did not. That's not information that needed to be known right away, mm, right? right. If, if we didn't know for another three hours, it wouldn't. You know, what I mean, it, you know, they. How do I? You know, I don't want to say any crass, but you know, it didn't change the outcome. It's not like something that you need to know, like a hurricane is coming. Right, right, right. If you don't find out that that Kobe is, is you know, is, is gone for another three hours, it actually would have been three hours of enjoyment, right, of your Sunday. Absolutely. Um, so maybe that, that's how we'll, we'll handle that in, in the future. But, um, you know, we, we did have a lot of questions as far as you know, how do we look at Kobe's overall legacy? The weird thing is, I don't know about you, but I had forgotten about that one incident in Colorado mm. from what was that? Uh, 2003 or almost 20 years ago. Right, right. But apparently a lot of people hadn't forgotten about it. Oh, man. So that that was a subject of intense scrutiny. Um, so the, the big question that we're trying to get at here is, is it appropriate when someone passes to talk comprehensively about all of the events of their mm-hmm. life? Or like, are you more like old fashioned people such as myself who only speak good of those who have passed on? Um, I think that there were a lot of people who felt this was an opportunity to exemplify voices, uh, particularly voices of the victim, which maybe in some some situation that needs to be to happen. I guess my concern, though, is where was this push to put her voice out there prior to him passing? So if the point is let's discredit him after he passes, right. then I think this is entirely inappropriate. Um, well, not, you, you, I, and I would, I would agree with you. And, and let's put aside the issue of, you know, what happened and whether it, you know, was or was not, you know, an assault and all that. And mm-hmm. just move to, like you said, the general principle, right? Do you say something after someone's dead? And the strange part about it, someone had a great point and said, look, you realize that the only person who heard all of this vitriol was not Kobe. He's gone. Mm-hmm. But his wife and surviving daughters. Absolutely. So, so, so you decided that, you know, you, by, by, you know, spreading this picture out there, you would take this time of, you know, you know, incredible, you know, um, loss for them and amplify it with more stuff, right? Which, you know, may or may not even be substantiated, but like, who are you hurting? Cause Kobe's gone. Right. You know, this right. is something you should have been doing, you know, when his retirement speech, right? If you had a, a problem then, 
Now, that being said, let's be absolutely clear, because, you know, a lot of black people were very protective of Kobe, myself included, right? Absolutely. But the truth of the matter is that uh, in the past, uh, I haven't always been so, uh, you know, so good about waiting for the, for the death. And, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go ahead and, and label myself as a pre-hypocrite. Uh, when Cheney's gone... Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm record myself uh, dancing a jig. I don't even know how, it, how a jig works, but I'm going to look up the YouTube video so I can do it. I need to practice now because uh, Cheney ain't got too much longer left. Uh, Trump, I'm going to act a fool. All right. Some windows going to get broken in my house. All right. I'm, I'm going to act a fool. All right. So I'm going to be a hypocrite. All right. Certain people. But I don't see Kobe being that, you know, at, at that level. We're talking about a guy who at the worst case scenario, had one horrible incident that was never repeated to our knowledge, that was never, you know, even come closer. It seemed like a guy lived a model citizen life afterwards. And if you, you know, when you weigh all of it together, um, you know, we really have to, to you know, I, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I've I come on the standpoint that, you know, on the whole, he was a much better guy than bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it's not close. And, and there are a lot of things. So now that we get to see Kobe Bryant outside of basketball, right? there were a lot of things that he did that people resonated with. Like, for instance, you may have heard about the news story where the WNBA players are now going to get uh, more money than they've right. ever gotten before. Uh, Kobe Bryant was a big contributor to stating that the inequality was incorrect. He was a big advocate for women's basketball, particularly Absolutely. because he had daughters who were playing basketball, including Gianna, who was from all everything I've heard, a phenom and probably would have been the female version of Kobe Bryant going, um, going right. into the profession. So I think that looking at him as a father, as not just as a father, but a proud black father in a, a, a country where black fatherhood is oftentimes uh, deemed to be non-existent. Right. right. So seeing somebody who they've accomplished everything they want to accomplish, they've mastered, they, they're a business person, they won an Oscar, right? Like they've got all this other stuff going on. He was just at the beginning of showing us a new side mm-hmm. of who he was. And that's not to take away from what may have happened way back. I just don't understand the point of trying to diminish everything for something that that may or may not have happened in 2003 right. when you, you had 2004, 2005, 2006, <laughs> 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up to 2020 prior to his passing to bring that up. It seems like it's done just to be negative. And well, no, it's, absolutely. It's, and then you have to sort of say, you know, maybe it's just, it, it, it's not racial, but we, you know, we do have to always ask the question, America, that it's possible, right? Right. You know, right. we saw it with Michael Vick a couple weeks ago. You know, normally the presumption is, with such Michael Vick, if you get convicted of a crime, you serve your time, right. right? You spend some time afterwards and you never repeat it again. And certainly nobody is suspecting that Michael Vick is, is still dogfighting. Right. But then we move past that. We have the concept of, of redemption, both in the law and even, you know, in our larger Christian culture. And somehow it seems like black people don't always ever, ever get that coming back thing. Well, we, we don't get coming back because we also don't get the presumption of innocence. Uh, and, and I think that's half the problem. When, when there's a, a conviction and somebody goes to jail for America, I think for a large swath of America, that conviction is more of a reinforcement. 
right. is a reinforcement of their mistaken belief or prejudicial belief that black men in particular are right. guilty from birth, right? And so what happens is even if somebody goes and they can pay their debt to society and come back, one, there's the anger that's always going to be there to say, you are the embodiment of what white people think about blackness. Right. But two, Michael Vick had the nerve, the audacity and the unmitigated gall to come out of jail and get back on your television right. and be successful and make money and get nice suits and have a haircut and look good and do everything that you wish you could do. Right. right. And you're upset because you are still stuck at the factory. <laughs> well, there's there, there's definitely part of that, particularly for the guilty. But then, like I said, you know, Kobe obviously has never, you know, was was you know, the case was dropped. Right. It, you know, it was not. But I saw we've seen with OJ as well, right? Mm -hmm. OJ is the only person I ever see of who got acquitted and and is actually treated worse after acquittal than mm -hmm. a conviction, right? right. You know, right. a guy who, who, and I love this because we've had white guys get acquitted of stuff like, at the same time, and people don't remember this, Robert Blake mm. shoots his wife, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if he shot her or she got shot, I think in, in, in the head and, and said that what, he left his gun, yeah, it could have been him because he left his gun in the gun check room or, or in the coat check room or something crazy, right? He goes mm -hmm. to trial, he's acquitted. And then, you know, nobody's mad at Robert Blake. No one's, no, no one's upset. But somehow, you know, OJ's perfect example is the NFL scrubbed OJ completely off the, the site for the hundredth year. Mm. Now, this is a guy who's acquitted of the murder. One of, you know, it is not in, in question whether he is one of the hundred greatest NFL players. Right. All right. The question is, you know, is, is he in the top five? Maybe. OJ Simpson was such a huge star. People don't remember how big of a star OJ was. Where, you know, he, OJ's such a big star. Think about it. They let him star in movies right. after he did, not like Jim Brown with, he was in black movies. Right. They let OJ star in white movies with white female leads, Absolutely. like Inferno. Absolutely. Right? OJ, you know, in national commercials, like the Avis and all that stuff, OJ was big. All right? And, 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 and with him, it was like, you know what? You, you, you know, forget what the jury said. You still guilty. Mm. And I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm simply saying <laughs> <laughs> I'm simply saying that normally the presumption is whatever the jury says is right. We weren't there, and we're moving on. Right. But but right. a black man, if you're convicted, you can't come back. If you're innocent, if you're not convicted, you can't come back. If the DA drops the charges, you can't come back. And and I wanna I wanna do a little aside for our white listeners here because I'm sure. Just the mention of O.J. Simpson is probably giving him goosebumps and chills right now. <laughs> so what, what I want to say is this. So black people uh, collectively tend to look at the O.J. verdict as a, kind of the spit in the face return back to white America. Right, right. Uh, it's not that we don't think that O.J. did it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's that we have shown y'all, even in the past couple of years, we have shown y'all video after video after mm -hmm. video of racist white police officers killing unarmed black people in their house, on the freeway, in the grocery store, on the sidewalk. We've shown you this every, pretty much at one point every day, right? right. And for every time we showed you when it would get to court, if it got to court, yeah. we would see not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. 
I'm guilty. So our lives were devalued. And it's something that black people knew. We know already that we're going to be devalued when it comes to our justice system. But for that one day, when the jury came back with those not guilty verdicts for OJ and we saw white people losing their minds, (laughs) (laughs) it was like, wow. So now you see how it feels. Now you see what it's like when you can know somebody did something wrong and you can have all the proof in the world. But guess what? If somebody decides not to take their medication today, the glove don't fit. (laughs) And that's the way that the system works. So it seems like it would be holding you to take into account, okay, there's some flaws in the justice system. We need to sit down with the black community, see what we can do to hammer out and improve our system. But no, instead of that, it seems like y'all went gunning harder. Right. So it's like we're going to put we don't care that you got camera phones that's videotaping the whole murder as it happens. We don't care about that. They're still not guilty. And I don't understand what society, what white society thinks black society is supposed to do in those situations. Like, Are we supposed to just take it and continuously hope for better and pray? Or, you know, at some inevitable point there's going to have to be retribution. So people are going to say, all right, you're not going to attack me and my community like that anymore. So if you're going to do that to us, we're going to do that to you. And that's what I fear. Because when that happens, then there's not going to be respect for law enforcement. There's not going to be respect for, if there's no law enforcement, there's nobody to enforce that everybody get along anymore. So now people can all just take their uh, dilemmas to the street and do what they want to do. And that scares me. Right. So I think we want to have a system where we can have these checks and balances put in place. But to just throw it all on OJ and say OJ is the anomaly. OJ is the the problem. He's a murderer. He's this. He's that. And ignore all of the the officers that we've seen tried uh, in in the past, just the past year alone. I think that's a disservice. Uh, And that needs to be rectified and reevaluated by our listeners in the white community who may not necessarily subscribe to our same beliefs. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Jesse is, 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 is being a lot more uh, generous about it uh, than I would be. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the bottom line is simply that, you know, we, we see once again, maybe it's a coincidence that there's a double standard in America of judgment. Other people are given the presumption of innocence and the idea that once a jury has spoken, it has spoken. And for us, it's like, well, once a jury has spoken, uh, we might believe that if we get the right result. But if not, we won't believe that. And by the way, even the DA who decides to drop the charges, um, we still will believe you did it. Right. Which is amazing to me because the DA in this case, let's be clear, right? And I don't, I'm going to get into the evidence. People were, you know, putting on my page all kinds of, you know, you know, pictures and, you know, I'm going to get into all that. I just know this. The DA had every reason in the world to bring that case, even if the DA would ultimately lose. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons for that. Marsha Clark and Christopher Durden. These were people who were public servants who were making prosecutor money before the OJ trial. Uh, I'm gonna, which one of them you think still works for, uh, the, the, um, the, the state or the county of LA or the state, state of California as, as a prosecutor? Uh, neither one. No. Um, <laughs> uh, do, which one of them do you think is making a, a lot more money, uh, than they used to make? Uh, both no of them. <laughs> right? It is, even if you lose the trial of the century, right? If you bring it, 
All right. There is, so I promise you that the prosecutor here, if he could have brought a case, would have. All right. Even mm-hmm. if he lost, if he had any reason in the world, the only reason he didn't is because literally you can, you know, be disbarred for bringing a case that has no basis at all. But there's a lot of leeway. Very seldom that happened. All right. So you really have to be way out there to drop the case in this kind of situation where it does everything for you. All right. To, 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 to bring the case, you know. Um, and so as a general matter, my point is simply that, you know, believe that there probably wasn't anything in it. Chris Darden, I just looked here. Christopher Darden has a net worth of $2 million. Right. That's not all the money in the world, uh, but it's a little bit of money. Yeah. And certainly more than most prosecutors have, right? Yeah, he makes regular <laughs> he, he, appearances. He definitely work on, for him. He gets regular appearances on Fox News to hate on other people. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, <laughs> they're not giving you that $2 million for free. All right, you're going to have to right. do what you're doing for it. <laughs> And of course, Marsha Clark, I look here, has an estimated net worth of $4 million because, you know, the white man got to get twice as much money. Right. Um, <laughs> but it certainly has not been a bad thing for either one of them. Okay, so let's, so let's be clear. Now, that being said, and moving, moving past that, I guess, um, you had any closing thoughts on um, Kobe? Well, you know, I, I know at this point it probably sounds cliche, but my thoughts and prayers go out to the Bryant family as well as all the other families who lost people in the helicopter uh, accident. I I feel like it's out of all the ways that, that you can see somebody kind of going off into the sunset. This was just so sudden and unexpected. Nobody deserves this. I know there was a guy who said, I think he lost his wife and he said he had to explain to his three young children that mommy isn't coming home. I, I just can't imagine. And then I think about um, if, if Kobe knew what was going on and he sees his daughter, on the helicopter, a father, a father's inclination is to protect and to be in a situation where you can't stop what's getting ready to happen for your child. I mean, that is heartbreaking to me. I I can't even imagine. So, um, you know, I just hope that everybody has found peace and I hope that the families will find some way of being able to uh, eventually cope with the losses that they are dealing with. Uh, I hope that the people around them are continuing to be supportive and not just leeches trying to take advantage of the limelight in the situation. Um, and, you know, even for, I mean, this sounds weird because I'm just a broke dude that's on a podcast, but, but even for like the NBA players, you know, I, I really hope that they are able to find a way because, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about and I won't get into too far is in America, we don't do the best job of uh, discussing black male trauma. Uh-huh. Um, right. And I think that there we aren't really programmed, or at least we're not made to feel like we can be comfortable sharing emotions, particularly emotions that revolve around sadness. No, um, our, our way is, you know, fight through it, get up, wipe yourself off, keep going. But that's not always the healthiest way to process emotions. Uh, and so I hope that for everybody who is dealing with that, they are finding suitable outlets to find a way to help them process and grieve in a manner that's effective and efficient. Right. Now, well, let me you know, yeah, sort of piggyback on, on what you said there. I think, you know, there's a couple things here. 
you mentioned, I think, what's affecting a lot of people. Um, we had asked this question earlier on the Facebook page, and I'm looking at a couple comments here, is the fact of, you know, the kids on board and a family mm-hmm. situation. So, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing any of us could think of worse than, you know, our, you know, our demise, demise of our, our loved one is losing the kids. Right. That is something that, you know, we're, we're not programmed, any of us, to deal with. Right. All of us, right. you know, expect and hope and, and pray. And, and our only really, you know, the greatest aspiration in life is that we go before the kids. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's how it's supposed to be. And so losing the kid, you know, is, is, is something I think that everyone can relate to. Um, that makes it, and think about it to be, you know, you know, looking at her on the, on the helicopter knowing, you know, she's not going to be here. Right. And there's nothing you yeah. can do to stop it. I yeah. can see, you know, that, 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 that definitely, um, affects people a lot. The other thing though is really learn, you know, a lesson I think we can learn that hit me was the idea of a bunch of these people kept saying, you know, you know, I meant to call Kobe next week. Kobe and I were going to do this and whatever. And, and the idea that a lot of, you know, checks it from now on, every time he sees someone, he's going to tell them I love them after, you know, because we all tend to do this. We think, oh, there'll be another time. Right? I can yeah. tell them what they mean to me later. And this is another reminder that, you know what, you might want to give people, you know, tell them you love them now, right, versus assuming that you're going to have some time later. Um, you know, and, you know, and the funny part is, you know, with your spouse and stuff like that, we do that. You don't go 10 years without telling your, your spouse that you love them. Right. But but with other people, we tend to say, oh, you know, we do it. I have to admit, I'm bad with that. I have parents that are in their 70s. Every time I talk to them, I they should end with I love you because there's no guarantee at all. Right. That, you know, I'm going to be able to talk to my parents again. So that was a lesson I got from it. Absolutely. I mean, I I think that's a a very good lesson. And we say it all the time. You know, people need their roses while they can still smell them. Right. There you go. I think the problem is we we just get caught up in life. Like there's always bills due. There's always work to be done. And a lot of times we forget what the important things are in life. So even on the day that, that this news broke, I'm in a room all day trying to clear out closets and stuff that I hadn't cleared out since I moved in going through all this stuff. And I'm just thinking about, man, I really want to get this done today. Meanwhile, my son had been wanting to play video games with me all day. (laughs) And I just was like, no, I got to get this done. I'll get to you. And by the time I finished, it was bedtime for him. So that was a missed opportunity that I could have taken out to just spend some quality time because you never know what the impact is of that. On top of that, I try to be cognizant because, you know, as, as you know, if you heard this podcast, I didn't have a father growing up. So sometimes I miss out on the importance of just being around and involved and showing that you're supportive and appreciative and not just a disciplinarian all the time. Um, and so I'm trying to be more cognizant of that in light of the Kobe. Bryant well, situation. but let me tell you something, I, you know, and, and, you know, take it from me. And by the way, you know, I actually had the opposite situation. I don't have a father. I had, you know, probably one of the seventh greatest fathers in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. All right. By the way, and I mean this, if you listen to the podcast now, if you take anything from this, you should call your, your, your father. If you, you're lucky to still have him in your life, you call him tonight if you can. And you say, Daddy, I was listening to a podcast, two incredibly brilliant, insightful, um, at least one and a half handsome, really great guys <laughs> were talking on this podcast. And I wanted to call you and Daddy and tell you, uh, you ain't shit. I, I, I thought you were a good daddy, <laughs> but 
But then I heard about Sean's daddy, and now I know you ain't shit. All right? That's how good of a father I had. So I had an advantage of seeing what a wonderful father is. But I see you with your, your son. You are absolutely there. You're attentive. And, and here's what you do, which I think is great to not have a model in, is that, you know, you – I always say it this way, and it sounds creepy, but you are in love with that boy. Right. It's not like it's it's a, it's a thing where you just happen to pay the bills and raise them. Right. You actually yeah. appreciate you like him. You want to spend time with him. You think he's wonderful. The world sets on him. And that's what, boy, you know, what every child needs. Right. It's someone who they know loves them to pieces. And I see both you and Nish that way you're doing, you know, I'm not in your home, but I can tell you whatever you do there, you know, and it's, and it's impressive. Like I said, you didn't have a model for that. Right. And right. I, you know, I, I, I had a model for that. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're doing your thing there. Now, um, speaking of, uh, of maybe the world's best father, we do have to sort of transition, uh, to, to, uh, somebody who we thought was the world's best father, but, uh, turned out <laughs> may not be. And we're talking about, of course, uh, Bill Cosby. Oh, Bill Cosby. The hits just keep on coming. Uh, so. Bill Cosby's attorney, you may remember her, Monique Presley. Uh, she, if you don't remember, she was the black woman, the sister who was in there advocating for Bill Cosby every step of the way. She was with him. She came out. She used to do the, uh, uh press conferences. Uh, she was sharp. Everything was great. We loved her. And then all of a sudden she faded off into obscurity and didn't represent him anymore. Right. Uh, <laughs> and we've never really got the story as to like, what happened or, you know, did she find out something about Bill Cosby that she didn't know before or whatever? Well, unfortunately, it turns out that she has actually uh, been suspended for uh, misappropriation of funds. So could you, could you explain to the people what misappropriation of funds is and why you would be suspended? <laughs> <laughs> and just as we do this, because this is actually what I do for a living, is to tell lawyers the two rules of legal ethics. One is to keep your hands off the client which lawyers seem to have a hard time with sometimes, <laughs> particularly divorce lawyers for some reason. And, right. and, and secondly, to keep your hands off the money. And this is by far the more common thing. What lawyers will often do to make sure that we get paid is that if you get a settlement, we don't, the, 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 let's say it's a million dollars. The million dollars doesn't go into a check written to the client because the client likely isn't going to then turn over a third of that money to the lawyer, right? Or fourth or whatever. Cause no, think about it. How many of you are used to writing a $250,000 check, right? You're going to, you probably, you probably going to get not spend, you know, you're going to think, Ooh, that's too much. So the money is usually paid to the lawyer who then distributes it out. They pay the client their portion. They then give money to, you know, pay out the chiropractors and all the court reporters, all the people who need to be paid. Right. Right. And, and and sometimes um, the people who uh, don't get any money are the client. So the lawyer will just spend all the client's money. And oftentimes you think, why would a lawyer do this? Because the lawyer has more than one client and he thinks, okay, I need the money now, but I got a settlement coming in next week. Mm-hmm. And so they rob Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. Peter and Paul eventually become friends on Facebook. <laughs> right. right. They find out what's going on. The jig is up and the lawyer right. ends up getting suspended. And that's the problem is, is that the, you know, there are penalties in which think about it, like any other rules of ethics, you know, it's like there's certain things where like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that anymore. But stealing the money is, is gonna, you're gonna have to drive Uber or Lyft. Take your pick. Right. Um, but you're not gonna practice law, uh, immediately. 
Absolutely. Because we need, and, and one of the weirdest things is, one of the requirements is, you need to pay the money back. You know how far you got to drive a, a lift to pay the money back? <laughs> so normally you, uh, you got to find something else to do. Not the, 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 the best thing. Now, by the way, it turns out that it was weird. She, stepped down from the case and was fired in 2016. You're like, well, why was she? Because she was still out there yelling and, and screaming for Cosby, even when she right. wasn't working for him. Right. Ooh. Okay. But my question is, I just don't know um, who going to get him out now. Maybe be Rudy or, 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 or um, Claire. She was a lawyer in the show. It won't be Denise. I know that. <laughs> it won't. When I was looking this up, I looked and found out that uh, Cosby uh, has is, 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 has a little trouble getting lawyers a lot because uh, he's been not paying all his bills. Mm. Now, in fairness, I don't blame him. There were some firms like, he owes me $7 million. I'm like, for what? Right. Are, are, you, are, are you changing his oil, the tires and on his little jet? What do we mean, $7 right, right, million? Right. I mean, you know how many, if you multiply that by the hour, you know how much your hourly rate got to be? Right? <laughs> <laughs> For someone to owe you $7 million? Hey, man, you know, I thought you were going to say he don't owe them because he's sitting there eating uh, eating green bologna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if, think about it this way, right? If, if you don't just do, just do a simple math on it, right? If you, your fee, hourly fee was 350 bucks an hour. Okay. You know, he got the best lawyers. Make it 700 bucks an hour. Okay. Right? You need to work to, to, for someone to owe you $7 million, you need to work 10,000 hours on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, that's five years of full-time work. Okay. Um, that's a lot. Absolutely. Right? Um, and so, because I was like, hey, y'all, 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 y'all crazy. Um, but anyway, so for, forget hit, hit him, but, um, he's obviously, you know, gonna have a little more time in the penalty box. By the way, if we just talked about that, that conversation with Kobe. Imagine when Cosby's gone, that conversation. Mm, I don't know. Is, is it gonna be a conversation? Well, I don't know sure there's gonna be, a, there's certainly not gonna be the sadness, alright, going around, um, when, 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 when he's gone. But the idea of, you know, of, of people coming out, you know, and, 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 and smashing them and, and not just, you know, for rightfully so for, you know, what seems like dozens, dozens of, of, of horrible incidents, but the idea, or let's be clear, crimes. But, but, but the point is, is that they'll be coming out the day of and people like you have those more traditional values back up, you know, at least let the brother get in the ground first. Right, right. Um, before you start, you know, talking about all the, the things. Um, let's see, this is going in no particular order here. Um, Ayanna Presley had big news at the beginning of the year. Yes. So, uh, Massachusetts, uh, representative Ayanna Presley, aka Bay, uh, with the squad. She, <laughs> with the squad, she, uh, she revealed to us that she has been battling alopecia. Uh, and revealed to us that, you know, the, the reason why she stopped wearing the sister locks and the reason why, uh, her hair looks different, I think she caught some flack about that, uh, is because it was, in fact, a wig and she finally has donned her natural, real head of hair. Um, and I, I think she looks great. I think she 
has shaved off. She is uh, kind of retaking and reclaiming her ownership. And I, I feel like from the messaging that she gave that she felt she was letting young women down by wearing wigs or wearing hair that was not necessarily hers. Um, and that she had an opportunity here to really advance interest in uh, alopecia in and of itself. Also make people not feel afraid of how they would look or how they might be perceived if they look different from others. Um, also, you know, in a, in a sense to fight off some of the, what we call hoteps, the people who are <laughs> deathly upset about her not having sister locks anymore. Um, so, you know, I think that it was a, an opportunity for her to really shift a narrative. Uh, and it seems like it was well received. I haven't seen too much negative feedback about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it's very interesting because one of the things that America is still kind of getting used to is the idea of black people in high level positions and not just that we're black in that position, but we also bring with us all of the, the issues that come with being black generally. Right. So when you're black image, oftentimes is vastly important. Perception is vastly important. If you are in a position of leadership, uh, things like that are vastly important. And you want to make sure that you're always putting your best foot forward or at least perceived as being your best foot forward that people will, uh, you know, not try to demean you or denigrate you for what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Well, absolutely. And there's always that, that yin and yang you talked about, that pressure there between having the socially acceptable, right, the, the white acceptable hairstyle. All right. right. For women, that to be a perm, right, with with longer flowing hair. For for men, it would be you know a very short crop top, you know, haircut. Um, right. You know, and, and we're seeing some pushback about black people saying, "Hey, you know, what? you should be able to accept my hair as it grows out of my head." Or in this Absolutely. case, doesn't. Right. Absolutely. Two things about alopecia. One, it, her story is scary because she explains how she hasn't been you know living this lie for thirty years. Is something that started happening fairly recently. She started noticing parts were falling out, and then she began to wear a wig to cover those up, and eventually it all came out. That was surprising me because I've known people with alopecia, but for them, most people it starts in childhood, mm. and so you get to a certain age, you think I am, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm looking at my comb every day, because right? you never know, right? When, when, right. It's, when it's going to happen, I got to be ready. Um, but this, cause, cause I gotta tell you, her, the top of her head looked good. I could feel mine's gonna be all bumpy. I'm gonna have to do some stuff on mine. Uh, so I need to, you know, get this time and get myself together. Um, the other thing though is the idea, and I've experienced this myself recently. As a matter of fact, I got, I got on my calendar to go get a haircut this week. I gotta go out mm-hmm. and, and, and speak to white people, uh, n- n- next week cause that's where my money come from, right? Yeah, and right. I gotta try to figure out, do I need to, am I going in there black or not? And I'm gonna give a talk on diversity, a couple talks on diversity, and I've been growing this afro out. Um, and do I just, you know, stay with it with the afro, or, or do I kind of, you know, cut it back some, right? Do it do a little shorter. It's interesting how, you know, these things with us are are, are because if, you, if I'm in Silicon Valley and I wanted to have a man bun. Right. A white guy had hair down to my to my ankles. Nobody cares, right? Right, you know. But not but but with us, it's almost seen as as you know as defiant. 
Yeah, I mean, people like their black folks to look the way they expect them to look. You know, what I'm saying? That's what, and, that's and, that's and we're not. <laughs> well, it's not just white people guilty of this. I, I, I was still this, but one of my favorite stories is I was um, giving a talk years ago for Xerox, mm-hmm. and I meet this brilliant, beautifully black sister, um, and she after my talk says, "Hey, you know, we should, you know, we we connect and be, you know, friends on LinkedIn or whatever, be BFFs." Right. To, you know, in professionals and, you know, prime by lies, right? You know, and, and I didn't really think much of it, right? Because this is a sister, dark skinned right. sister with like a Florida Evans afro. Okay. And I gotta tell you, the, 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 the honest truth is, um, I didn't ever really expect to see her again. I did not see her again until 10 years later when I saw her on the cover of Forbes magazine. Um, as a CEO of Xerox. Oh, wow. Okay. It would do me a lot of good as speakers, anybody to be BFS with the CEO of Xerox. Absolutely. But why, so why didn't I, you know, cultivate that relationship? Cause what? she didn't look like the CEO of Xerox. <laughs> the first black CEO of Xerox. <laughs> oh, no. Think about it. Now, and here's the thing is, it wasn't that even a black thing, right? This is, you know, the Obama era. I could, I could almost see a black person and a sister, but, but, but not a sister with a natural. Haircut. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought you had to be Kerry Washington. Right? Okay. You can't come in there, you know, beautifully black sister with, with a natural hairstyle. And and so even amongst us, and I'll just say amongst me, that I still sort of have, you know, those perceptions as well of what's an acceptable, right, you know, successful mm-hmm. hairstyle. And I'm glad to see people are pushing back against that, assuming they don't get kicked out of school for doing it. Oh, man. So, so for those who have not been following, uh, DeAndre Arnold is a student in Texas who has been told that he will be, um, precluded from being able to walk in graduation with his classmates because he has dreadlocks that are in violation of the school code, which says that, uh, men's hair or boys' hair should be no longer than their earlobe. Uh, and this has presented great national concern. I've, I've heard um, today that I think Ellen and Alicia Keys have given him $20,000 for college because <laughs> he wants to be a veterinarian. Correct. And uh, people are trying to put pressure on this Texas school district to say, hey, you need to allow him to graduate. And so far, Texas has been Texas. <laughs> Y'all need to mind your affairs elsewhere. We're going to do what we want to do this year is Texas. Right. Um, so, so, I don't have a lot of hope for DeAndre's ability to walk, but this brings into a very interesting dynamic because we're dealing with a lot of states. I think New York being one, California being one, where these uh lawsuits based on hair, right. uh, specifically black hair, have been prevailing, even though it is not uh nationally accepted as a federal marker for racial discrimination. Right. So with Texas being the state that we know it is uh, and the potential for a, a legal challenge uh, to come up, it will be very interesting to see if Texas goes the way of California and New York to adopt these standards or if they maintain the way that it's been always here and say, you know, it's not racial because it's your hair. You know, what, what kills me, I guess, about this is. And, and I, you know, I, my son goes to a prep school here in Arizona and mm-hmm. part of, you know, they have a uniform and part of the dress code is your hair can't go past your ears, I believe. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting because if you grow an Afro, 
then technically your hair kind of grows up versus past your ears, right? Right. And so you don't have a situation where it's ever on your shoulders, right? It's just big and bushy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, my oldest son was at that school and, and it was growing Afro. And, you know, I kind of talked to the headmaster about it. And he said, hey, I said, is this a violation? He was like, well, technically it's not. It you know, grows up. And I said, you know, let me, you know, do you see it as being a violation? And he was like, well, and so we ended up getting this haircut. Okay. okay. But the difference mm-hmm. is, is that's a school we chose mm-hmm. with rules we chose to abide by. Mm-hmm. My understanding is I can't see anything here. This seems like a Texas school district, a public school, mm-hmm. where people don't have a choice. So it's one thing if you send, choose to send your kid to a school and there's rules, you follow them. It's another thing where this kid, has, he's got to go to school somewhere. Mm-hmm. And where your school says, no, 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 we're not going to, you know, allow you, you know, to, to grow your hair this way. Now, in addition to just how he likes it, I think he has a religious thing going on here, right? Right. I think his parents are. Dad, so this is part of the culture, um, yeah. and they may be part of. I don't know if they if he said they were Rastafarian or not, but right. uh, maybe part of a cultural and, and even a religious thing. Um, right. One of the it arguments think, that puts it on a different footing, but think right. about it: who's got money to go to the Supreme Court? And by the way, can you get there before before June? Right. Right. And and one of the things that I think um, he he made a, a small argument on Ellen today. Uh, just talking about, you know, what about girls? Do girls have uh, the ability to wear hair longer than their earlobes? If not, then there is there potential for uh, sexual discrimination right. um, on here. And I, I guess my, my thought process, and I know, again, <laughs> I, maybe I'm just wrong, but I've always felt like the pendulum doesn't shift until somebody pushes it. Right. And what I mean by that is um, – Hair is one of those things that naturally sprouts from your <laughs> hair, your head, uh, and it doesn't look the same for everybody. I think that, you know, there is a, a misnomer that's put out, particularly about black to say that us having dreadlocks or us wearing our natural hair or whatever is somehow taken away from the quote unquote corporate image that people want to present. And this isn't just a white thing. This is, I remember attending Florida A&M, a school I Oh, very dear and beloved to. Uh, they used to have this thing called Forum for students who were in the School of Business and Industry. And in Forum, there used to be a requirement that you kept a low, clean haircut and wore a blue or black suit. There you go. And I remember there was a big protest my freshman year there because there was this uh, this guy's Jamaican guy who's a business major, always had really nice uh, dreads, always kept them with a color coordinated little bonnet, you know, okay. that matched the suits and all that stuff. And he made a poem uh, basically indicting the leadership because he says, you know, SBI is the school of business and industry. Are you training us to be business entrepreneurs and innovators? Or is this SBI the slave building academy? And it was, it was good. It was good. He got a lot of snaps. Uh, <laughs> probably got a lot of write-ups from the administration too. Yeah, really? Uh, so, so the whole point is stuck with me because I said, wow, he's really right. We're, we're putting people out into a, a corporate environment where we know already that the corporations are going to expect uh, the people who work for them to look a certain way. But we also are building what or at least we think we're building what will be the future future business leaders of the world. And we want to shift the perspective so that we don't have to go out of our way particularly with black women having to go out of their way to make their hair look like something 
that it may not naturally grow as or they have to use dangerous chemicals or anything like that to get the look that corporate society will want you to have. And I think now that we've been seeing uh, from the music industry and from business and all this, people who don't necessarily look like the traditional corporate mold, but who are still successful, I think that does do something to open the door to allow people to have various hairstyles and allow people to express themselves through their hair. And I think that's very important. I just, it, it fascinates me how we get caught up in what people are supposed to look like for something that is a naturally growing substance. So, so that's like, you know, I understand we want people, we want to keep barbers in business and, and shout out to the barbershop. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I feel like if, if I want to grow dreadlocks, who is, my job, unless I'm working in food service or something like that. Right. Um, who, who, why does my job get to have a say in how I present myself? No, I absolutely, but you know, like you, but you said, you know, part of it comes from us, right? Mm-hmm. Because we'll be the first people to police you, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and before you even get to, you know, and you know, my parents would be, you know, <laughs> you know, my mother thinks I need to get a haircut, right? Um, <laughs> you know, she, if, if, if I'm scared to stay over a house, but if I do, I wake up, I'll be bald. She, 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 you know, I'm like, mother's are. She ain't gonna, you know, she, she ain't gonna care what I want. She, she shaved me down in a minute. Uh, <laughs> so, so I, I get it. Speaking of sort of, I guess, speaking of for black people, I cannot believe it, but apparently P. Diddy has become the spokesman, uh, for, for, for black America. We had the Grammys, uh, on Sunday. And I guess we should play what uh, Diddy had to say about uh, the Grammys. Absolutely. My goal used to be about making hit records. Now it's about ensuring that the culture moves forward. My culture, our culture, the black culture. And for me to be worthy of receiving an Icon Award, I have to use my experience to help make a change. We've all looked up to you for such a long time and we're so happy that you're being honored tonight. It's so well deserved. All right, well, he had more to say than that, but we, 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 <laughs> I forgot to put out a wrong video. Um, uh, but, but, but I guess go ahead and crystallize Diddy's point. Okay. So, uh, for those who may not have seen it, uh, P. Diddy won the Industry Icon Award, which is a very, very prestigious Grammy Award. But he used his platform, uh, at the Grammys to discuss a lot of the issues that many of the black artists have been complaining about when it comes to the Grammys being unfair, when it comes to, I think even the ousted president now is saying that there's some rigged voting uh, going on with the Grammy awards. And so what he said was, you know, there's been too many opportunities or there've been too many um, situations where deserving black musicians uh, who had all the stats that you need in order to qualify to be able to get voted for a Grammy have been overlooked. And he's saying that ultimately we have to do a better job. We as a community and we also as musicians have to do a better job of putting more emphasis on the achievements of black musicians. Um, this isn't 
necessarily revolutionary talk. It may be for the Grammys, right? Uh, but this is something that we've heard over and over. I mean, I think Jay Z has the line where he says, "F that O for eight stuff." You know, he's not going back to the Grammys because they keep trying to get over on him, and we've seen right. they try to get over on Beyonce, and and you know, like I, I think that. And and there was no time. I'll say this. This is my personal opinion. There's been no time like 2020's Grammys where we have seen such a void of blackness uh, in, in exchange for heavily regarded, heavily celebrated mediocrity in whiteness. Um, <laughs> the person who racked up is Billie Eilish. And I don't want to, you know, discredit Billie Eilish. I know there's a lot of people who really like Billie Eilish music, but the number of awards that she won over people in the category that have range, that have a soulful voice, that have, I'm just going to say an actual talent. I was hoping you would say the T word. I didn't think you were. I didn't think you were going to say the T word. <laughs> well, the number of people that, that had that uh, to not get it, it, it just is ridiculous to me. Um, and so, you know, me, me being me, when I see somebody racking up Grammys, the first thing I do is I go to my music streaming service Thank and you. I type this first name because I'm thinking if she got this many Grammys, this got to be Nas Illmatic. This got to be, you know, Jay-Z Reasonable Doubt. This got to be Ready to Die Notorious Big. Right. Like, this has to be Michael Jackson Thriller. Like this, this is something that and I'm just missing it. So I go. And I type in Billie Eilish and I hear her album. Now, I will give you my honest, unbiased opinion. The album beats pretty fire, right? But she didn't make the beats. Her brother Phineas is the one who made the beats. The voice on each one of the songs is the same. And, and if you haven't heard it, it's a whisper sing-songy voice. I'll give you a preview here. I go, I know, I go, I roll, I jump, I climb, I go, I... <laughs> That's now, people, that said. is almost exactly it, except for Jesse actually was in tune. All right, so take all of that <laughs> and, and put it out of tune. But I'm looking here. She won Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Album of the Year, and Best New Artist. Mm-mm-mm. That's yeah. like getting in the EGOT, right? All in one year, right? She gets, she, she, she swept, you know, that's a Tiger Slam, right? Win the Grand Slam of, of the, of, um, of, of the Grammys. And, and Jesse was not doing her disservice. It went, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is how, it, it, how? it's the worst of mumble rap. And you know what it'd be like? <laughs> it'd be like if Biz Marquis won for Just a Friend. Right. <laughs> you know what I need? That would be Biz Marquis, okay? Right, right. Best vocalist. <laughs> Best vocal, right? Best vocal performance. Biz Marquis is a friend, all right? Well, let, let me say this. I mean, there are some things that are just blatantly wrong, right? And so last year, I, I really think the, the record of the year, the option, the first option I read was Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus, Old Town Road. If you are somebody listening to our podcast and you have not heard Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus Old Town Road, you obviously live on Pluto because <laughs> this this thing has been everywhere. It was a big controversy about whether it can be considered a country song, whether it's a pop song, whether it's a rap song. Uh, it's been everywhere. And so 
when I saw that was one of the nominees, I thought, oh, this is a shoe win. Like, if we're talking record of the year, we have to talk about the record that's had the most impact. The song has been heard in those places with the most impact whatsoever. And to see him lose to somebody whose song I have never even heard prior to that is shocking to me. Now, uh, I did see this is where you you know it, being grown being old it gives you some because because when we talked about it before it's like you know the the Grammys does this about every ten years Nora Jones swept uh, it was two thousand eight or two thousand nine Nora if if you don't remember who she was you don't have to because she will be your Lyft driver uh, the next time <laughs> you go somewhere just you know ask hey that you Nora uh, she'll sing for you and sing nice um, uh, but the thing about it is it's like every once in a while they pick one of these dark horse people. I love the fact that Eilish, in, in, and I can't tell if she's being sincere or not, is giving all of her speeches like, please give this trophy to somebody else. Right. Right. Ariana you know Grande damn is so much better than me. Please give it to her. Uh, you know, I, I think she got to a point where she just came up so many times that she, I mean, this is what, this is the crazy part. So when she went up to stage, she always went with her brother Phineas, who is her producer. Right. Right. And when she would go, Initially, she did all of, you know, the humble, thank you, I I didn't expect this, blah, blah. Best new artist? Okay, I'm with that. She probably right, did. Right. Okay? Um, but eventually, she won so much that it almost seemed like she was tired of it. Right. And one of the explanations that was given was, we didn't make this album with any thought that it would win an award. We just went into a room and made music. This is her first album, people. So she went into her room, made music, and walked away with what's that five Grammys? Right. And the and the album isn't like I thought that it was gonna be life changing. The album, in my opinion, isn't all that. Now what I'll say is this the beats were hot. Her right. brother put in a lot of work on those beats, and I think that one of the slights was by the end of the night, she was going up and just doing uh award speeches uh as if it was just her. Right. Like right. It's just, he was the only person that was in that studio working. And the brother ended up by the end of the night almost having to snatch the mic from her. <laughs> and be like, well, I want to thank some people that actually helped us. Um, you know, so it's it's just an interesting dynamic. I think Phineas is going to have a very long career. I imagine that there is going to be some rapper, Kendrick Lamar, uh, J. Cole. Somebody's going to call him. And once he makes that crossover hit, he's going to be in the booth with everybody, all the greats, because his beats are pretty good. No, and um, you, but, you, you used to count there, it seems to me, right? Right, um, right. You know, and, and so, you know, it, but but I tell you, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, though, like you said, the fact that it's like, you know, we weren't trying to win awards. We were just, you know, in there m- making music. And like you said, normally there is a strategy for this, right? And people have hired people in marketing and demographics, and we've figured this all out, right? And it's like you can, you know, if you're black, you seem like you need to work. Um, Or you can just be, you know, a skinny little white girl and just go in there with your brother and just start, you know, (laughs) and uh, and somebody will think that that's genius. Well, my my thing is this. So when I was listening to Billie Eilish's album, I put my um, music app on shuffle, right? And it shuffled through the songs that I already regularly in many of my playlists. And what I what I mean, no disrespect, I'm getting ready to name, but 
these black artists we hold as being really good singers, but we don't even hold them to be our best. Right. Right. right, right. They're not Aretha Franklin, Patty. Right, right. Right. We we're talking about people like Vivian Green, people like Lettucey, people like Marsha Ambrosia. Uh, these people, I feel like, have more range, more talent and better arrangement than anything I heard on this classic Grammy Award winning Billie Eilish album. Right. And it just is ridiculous to me how the standard for Billie Eilish's what I would consider to be mediocrity has excelled beyond what we would consider to be, you know, decent, right? So right. our decent, it blows Billie Eilish out of the water. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who hasn't, who haven't heard Lettucey, please look her up. L-E-D-I-S-I. Look her up. Uh, listen to her songs and then go back and listen to Billie Eilish and see how you feel about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> And it's just amazing to me. And we're not even, again, I'm not even, I don't even want to besmirch Fantasia's name in any of this and the quality of songstress that she is. But how, how can we pr- produce such greatness? But every year, year after year at the Grammys, see those people overlooked for Billie Eilish's. I just went in the studio and made music, right? <laughs> how, how, do, how do we see this? So there has to be a change, and I don't know if the change is going to be us instituting our own award show. Um, I know there are some ideas that run counter to that, but I, I think that we need to have somewhere that is a safe space for us to realistically. I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a poll of the the general population. Maybe we can have. An app on our phone that allows us to do our own voting. When the, when um, see, that, that is why I tell you what, what's kind of weird in the sense that, and this is probably partly our fault. You know, the idea for you say you know have a different award. So, great example. I remember a couple of years ago when um, when Will Smith. Uh, and that's two F's. Um, <laughs> and, and Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, was complaining that Will should have got, um, I guess the Academy Award where I just nominated for it when he played the doctor, I think, with the CTE, right? Yeah. And I was sort of like, look, you know what? There probably is someone right now who's giving you an award, like, you know, the BET Awards or mm-hmm. Soul Train Awards, uh, but you didn't think that was good enough for you. And part of it is this, uh, the idea that you were, were looking for validation outside of our people and then surprise, we don't get it. And it seemed mm. to me that you think about it, the, the proudest award that any artist should have, particularly a black artist, is, the, you know, the Soul Train or BET award, award, because because think about it. Then, you know, you're going to be judged by people who are looking at the other best black singers right. and who have an ear for what you provide. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you if you're first on Lauren Hill, it's okay if white people think you can sing, but if black people think you can sing, you know you can sing. Right, right, and and, and so part of it is on us. Say you know, forget being mad and showing up to these. Don't even show up anymore. Right, we, we don't want your award. That ain't nothing to me. What is your 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 Grammy award? Right, did they even give six you know five of these to Billie Eilish? What does that mean right. to you anymore? Right, right. Right, get you an award that that you know means something because the soul she ain't getting a soul train award. <laughs> you got to be able to sing to get a Soul Train Award. Right, right. Well, you know, and, and there's a Jamie Foxx quote. I remember the year he won his Oscar and he came back and he won, I think it was the NAACP Award. Right. And he was giving his speech and he was like, 
this is better than the Oscars. You know why? Because black people are the hardest people to impress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I use Lauren Hill as an example for a reason. Some of y'all think I'm lying. Go on the internet, YouTube, type in Lauren Hill booed at the Apollo. Now, <laughs> it's bad enough that Lauren Hill got booed, but she was like nine. Right. Black people will right. boo a nine-year-old. Yes. <laughs> a nine-year-old singing gospel songs. Yes, you can get it. Anybody can get this work. <laughs> Thank you, right? So you know, ain't no participation trophy in the black league, right? Nope. If you get something from black people, you know you done earned it twice as much as you, as you, as you, as you, as you got, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so the idea should be from all these artists, it's like, don't be mad that you, you, you don't want that crap. You think about it. What you want that $25 trophy? Get you a real trophy, all right? right. From black people. <laughs> right, right. And, right? and we were there. We think about it, because you never hear white artists complain that they didn't get the Soul Train Award, right? right? So why are we trying <laughs> to get their awards? All right, let them have that that, that crap. All right, and we know it's crap now because I'm looking at the list of people who won, you know, the greatest, the, the highest number of of of, of, of Grammys. Uh, and I told you, you know, it's what's the name? First, first of all, what's the name is in there? Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Billie Eilish. Not only that, she's the youngest artist, right? By the way, the next youngest artist is Taylor Swift. Uh, the next yeah. is, is Alanis Morissette, who, mm. in my opinion, is just hollering. <laughs> it's done, good. She's just mad. I, I've heard Renee do that 20 times. What time you come home at night? You know you're going to come home early. That, that's Alanis Morissette every time, all right? <laughs> Which I'm gonna get now if we don't get the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm about to give you the whole the whole first album, right? From more instead of all the The point is, is like you know. So why you you want to get you know break a lot of Morris record, right? You know, <laughs> let them get the awards that you know people have gotten before you, Diana Ross, all right? And, yeah. You know, the Supremes and you know and, 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 and the Motown people. And so I'm not even mad, you know, when we don't get the Oscar. Anymore, I'm like you. Under, no. you, you, you know, that's not where you're supposed to be anyway. Try to get your award, your validation. Right. right. Well, I mean, I, I still think it's the gold standard, unfortunately, for the music industry. And yeah, and we we need to change it. But I think in in the interim, for those people like uh, Diddy who get these awards, who finally get recognized for the years and years of talent that they um, have brought. I think it's important for him to put this, you know, on a platform and let them know that people aren't just going to subscribe to the same notion over and over again. So I think it's good. And I also think, you know, we our value systems are very different. So in this case, when we're dealing with musicians, uh, we're looking at the value systems put on Soul Train Awards, Source Awards, BET Awards, NAACP Awards versus the Grammys. But there's also a value system that goes with uh, the money that. Netflix decides to pay uh, right. certain producers <laughs> for movies that are shot on a cell phone in five days. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think my mind was trying to get past and, and trying to just skip past. Uh, we we talking about we talking Mr. Tyler Perry here, right? Right. The movie that came out on Grace. Netflix. What, what's it? What, what's that one called again? A Fall from Grace. You you know it, it seemed like it was a good premise behind it. Right. Sister's a lawyer, right? And she ends up getting what charged with murder. But no, she's defending a lady who is charged with ah. murdering her husband. Ah. Uh, and then I'm trying. I don't, I don't want to get a plot away because you definitely need to watch it. The, I'll just say this: it was written to be a thriller, a suspense thriller. 
It is the most hilarious <laughs> that you will ever see. It's good TV. It's good bad TV, right? <laughs> now, now, part of it, you know, and I've heard, I've seen a lot about the continuity errors, right? Now, once again, and this is a great. I'm glad about this. This is a great illustration of what you were talking about, Jesse. All right, is that black people went off on this? All right, awesomely <laughs> lovey, who is always just awesome and lovey. Right. Was not so awesome. It was not so lovey about this. Right? She did a six-minute video tearing into Tyler Perry on this movie. Lots of continuity errors. People with an afro one minute, right, and no hair the next, and all kind of crazy stuff, right? right. And here's the difference: what we talked about, right, is Game of Thrones had people with coffee cups with star coffee cups in it, right? Absolutely. White people still watch that. All right, right. right? Then they make they clown it. They still love the stuff. Black people, though, we are hard audience. All right, if you if your stuff ain't up to par, <laughs> then we and part of it is because we know that hey, you know, you messing up for the next brother coming along, right? Right, absolutely. Right. So we and, and and secondly, it's also it's like look, we know a lot of us didn't get that opportunity, and Tyler's getting a lot of this now. You know, a lot of people pitching movies on Netflix. I don't know about you, but I pitch one every week. Right, right. The kind of money and then finally they, they making everything. I, right. you know, they're gonna eventually accept one of mine. All right, I'm right. gonna pitch a movie every week. Six million, right? Right, I'm gonna get my six million. And, and so it's it's like you know you end up getting the spot that you know everybody else did, and then you didn't you know shine. So that the day, next time they'll see a black strip, like oh we got to get this because black people don't don't play. Right, right. And and and, and that's what you know. I, I think it's interesting. It, it proves it here that you know what, you know we are a hard audience. Um. And I didn't see the title thing, so I've just heard about it. How funny was it? Oh, I'll give you some some classic, my favorite okay. scenes. Uh, my favorite scene, they're in a diner. The main character's in a diner having a conversation. And as all movies do, there are extras at the next table over. supposed to be eating, but you can clearly see that they're drinking from a cup that has nothing in it and that they're eating on a fork that is empty. <laughs> the, the most hilarious thing. Then, so Tyler couldn't afford to, to, to get four dollars of 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 Krispy Kreme over there, or you know Denny's over there. Really? Right. Right. So I or, you, a movie set is nothing but a damn cafeteria. Right. There's always food service there. It's a whole thing. It's a whole. It's called food. It's a whole department. How do you not have no food on your lot with the, your lots the size of Atlanta? That's a great question. That is a great question. And the other thing is, if you got mostly, it's a largely African-American cast. Right. If you got black people in the cast, it just seems to me you might want to put, you know, some care and concern into the hair pieces that you get for people. <laughs> because, you know, we talking about this. Black hair is important and black hair means something. He went and he kind of rushed it because I guess he was on budget and didn't want to waste $10 million trying to figure it out. So nobody in the movie with hair has a good hair piece. Like everybody's hair looks ridiculously crazy. So people are laughing about that. They even have scenes in the continuity changes because the main character, Grace, her hair changes. The wig that she has yeah, changes while she's in mid-conversation, which is hilarious, right? <laughs> um Then on top of that, I, I have questions with the casting because – Felicia Rashad is presented as a villain, which is kind of hard to accept if you grew up with her being Claire Huxtable. Right. So even her being a villain is funny. 
Right? So it's like, it's like, oh, look at Claire Huxtable killing somebody. That's so, they must have messed up. Right? They was having big fun. That's. <laughs> Now, 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 Tyler Perry, this obviously has gotten back to him. <laughs> right. We still want your sponsorship. <laughs> well, 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 what's, what's, what Tyler's got, he's got a reason for this. There's an important reason for this, right? Um, I don't know. He wants to shoot a movie on cell phones in five days. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I love the fact that he said, uh, his quote is, I don't have time to wait on the right kind of wig on set. Right. Obviously, <laughs> you know, I, I I I don't get this, and and here's partly what what I what, what I don't, what I don't get about this is that I actually have been in a, a movie before, okay. and there is nothing that is ever fast about a movie being made. Mm-hmm. Every scene is shot multiple multiple times. The reason is, is because you have to shoot it from multiple angles, right? If you're talking, two people having a conversation, you show one person's side, you show the other person's side. You cannot shoot that at the same time because you see the cameras in, 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 in the view. So yeah. you set up the room and the lighting to do to, to one side of the conversation. You do that, and then you come back two hours later, and you do the other side, et cetera. Now, maybe apparently he thought, hey, he had a quicker way to make a movie. I was surprised you don't see it. Actually, at one point, I think someone did complain about seeing a boom mic somewhere. In a, set, in, in, in a scene and it's just like look you brother you can't you know <laughs> defy a lot of movie making there's some things that's going to take some time and the idea that you don't have what do you have time for Eric you got a night job was he was he was he he, he making the donuts at, at, Dom, at Dunkin Donuts and he got to be there at 4 o'clock like you got time that's all you do is make movies right and then on top of that so you know this movie came out the week after he had that whole um, interview talking about he doesn't hire writers he he does all right. his writing himself and he showed us his writing room and it was all this build-up because he just thought you know we thought a fall from grace was going to be the next big thing um to have so many plot errors like like for like you know from a lawyer's perspective right you should really watch the movie because there's so much stuff that's so grossly wrong like even <laughs> law and order law and order isn't true and they right. they're more accurate than this thing is the, the girl who's the lawyer, she she hasn't she's a public defender, surprisingly with no cases. I don't know how many public defenders you know that have zero cases. Right. Uh, here on top of that, she waits until all of the evidence is in and closing arguments have begun to try to put in evidence and call witnesses to testify. And the judge is like, but you can't do that. And she's like, I'm calling so and so to testify. And and the judge's like, okay, well I guess if you say it loud enough you win. <laughs> It you know, just, uh, well, that's know. the funny thing is, and it seems to me, I got to tell you, you know, a lot of these these uh, complaints I seem to see, you know, people first thing they're like, you know, you don't hire nobody, right? Right. And 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 they're absolutely right about that. It's it's funny though because Tyler Perry, I, I you know, it, it's hard to knock a man who has obviously done so well, and you know, and and somehow been this buzz. But I gotta tell you, if the writing is, is what I think it is, um, this is a brother who's doing, um, how do I say it? A lot of borrowing mm-hmm. from, um, other people's great work. So let me, let me describe his new Nickelodeon, uh, show for you. Okay. okay? I'm not, I'm, I'm reading this. All right. I'm not making this up. 
The Wilson family household is soon turned upside down as lifestyles clash between rising hip-hop star Young Dylan and his straight-laced cousins. Do you recognize the show yet? Read it one more time. The Wilson family household is soon turned upside down as Mm -hmm. lifestyles clash between rising hip-hop star Young Dylan and his straight-laced cousins. Sounds like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, it, matter of fact, um, it turns out that uh, this, this young rapper, Young Dylan, uh, moves out to be with his affluent uh, relatives um, to because to, he got to um, a, a scrape uh, in the hood. And now, um, I'm not kidding, it is literally, he, he heard the Fresh Prince theme song and wrote his own sitcom. Oh, no. Just changing no. the names. From Dylan giving Rebecca and Charlie lessons in swag and street smarts to learning that even rappers have rules in the Wilson house, the series follows the hilarious hijinks this family traces as they try to get oh, on no. the same beat. Well, at least I know who they're going to cast for that. Uh, yeah, I guess it's some brother named Young Dylan. <laughs> Dill Smith. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, you know, and and so Tyler Perry is definitely, um, how do I say it, Um, going with what works. And it's, you know, it's sort of hard to argue if you have Spider-Man 7, that maybe you can't have Fresh Prince 2. A lot of people, um, you know, uh, the interesting thing about it, though, is once again, we're having this conversation that white people are not having about Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> Whatever his name is, right? right but, but we do have the one crossover because I don't know if you saw. Uh, David Schwimmer had put on Twitter a comment about, um, you know, something about black people really should we should create a black sitcom that is similar to Friends, right? That features people in the apartment. And Erica Alexander from Living Single was like, uh, "You should know what it's called. It's called Living Single. Y'all model <laughs> Friends after us." <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, you know, but with with us, it's like you know, <laughs> and I'm proud of the fact that it's hard to please us. Um, but we are just, although in fairness, the Tyler Perry thing is weird because he grew from us. It was that Meet the Brown stuff, right? Right, Medea. Mm-hmm, exactly, which is to me, it's funny. It's almost like Nixon and Watergate. I don't know a single black person who will admit to ever seeing. A Meet the Browns or Medea movie. I, I'll admit, I'll admit. I, I said, all right, man, I go. You the first one. I, I ain't gonna admit it. I ain't see shit. All right, y'all, y'all, you ain't gonna blame me for this. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I kind of grew up with Tyler Perry. When I was in college, he was a playwright. He actually was a struggling playwright at right. that time. And his uh, tickets for his plays used to be really, really cheap. Right. So I went to go see the play, and I was, you know, impressed because for what you paid. It was a really good show. And it had messages and a lot of singing and, you know, now granted the, the critiques did come because some people said it seemed like borderline minstrelsy. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was enjoyable for what you paid for. And then when it crossed over to being movies, I was like, wow, we have a black person now who's in a position where they're making movies. Right. Um, and this is great. So I kept going because I want to support another black person who's doing this. Then, he opened the studio up last year. So now he's got this studio. It's not a lot of black people that own studios that can film stuff. So that's great. And and I feel like his studio has brought together 
uh, you know, all kinds of greats. Eddie Murphy, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. I mean, there's that great shot of them all at Tyler Perry Studio. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I just feel like there's so much potential here. The reason why I roast a fall from grace as hard as I do is really only because I expect more from him. Right. right. So like you said, there's no rush to try to do this in five days using cell phones. <laughs> you own the studio. Right? right. So do it right. Give it justice. It's no shame in hiring people who can write for you, especially if you're going to hire other black people, because we looking for these kinds of opportunities to break into the business anyway. And now you are in a position where you can be a, a gatekeeper for Hollywood. You can open the door and allow other people the opportunity. And then you take some of the work off your plate and you're just reviewing what they wrote or pitching ideas in a writer's room or whatever the case may be. And they're learning from you know, somebody who basically wrote themselves out of living in a car. Right. So this this is an amazing opportunity. But I feel like Tyler Perry, because he wants to have his stamp on everything, oftentimes tries to do too much when he doesn't necessarily have to. Well, and, and here's what I, I don't get, because I totally get that part. You know, the idea that you want to, you know, you just simply, nobody's going to do this with the love and care that I do. And so I have to admit, I have a similar problem in the sense that I do too much. All right. I, for instance, you know, I do these webinars and, and, and seminars, et cetera. But I also like program the website where you signed up for the web webinars. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and all the, I, you know, I negotiate the contract with all the bars and I reach out to them and I, I do everything that I think I'm the only one who would do it right. 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 And I probably there are people who could do it better, right? But I will say that uh, I'm getting food on the forks, all right? Okay. <laughs> if you're going to be a control freak, you at least got to come through, right, with the product. Because your whole reason to be a control freak is I'm going to do this better than everybody else. Right. And if you're not getting food, you know, food on the forks, then at this point, so hopefully it'll say, okay, you know what? I got this thing. I can't do it all by myself. It's gotten too big. Right, I got, and think about it. Obviously, he's not just doing that. He's actually stealing the Fresh Prince right now. He's probably also <laughs> stealing um, what's happening in good times. Right, He probably got four or five bad times coming out and all kind of stuff. So I understand it, you know. But hopefully, Tyler, if you listen, I know you listen every week. Uh, this is a good opportunity, brother, to step back. Realize you need some new people. You can't play all the parts in the movies. All right. Um, and so maybe you need another brother to play my uh, Medea. I think I'm the right size and age. Call a brother. Um, <laughs> I, I'll shave his beard off. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, this would be a, a good opportunity. And, and, and I, you know, the guy doesn't get that successful because he can't course correct. Right. So I assume all the movies aren't going to be bad. He'll figure this out. And, and I hope, Tyler, if you're still listening, uh, for any, <laughs> le- for any legal thrillers that you do, definitely reach out to me because I can tell you how to make it more realistic and still not lose the element of show that you want to go for. Trial is very fun and definitely has climaxes of its own, but uh you you probably want to have it in some sort of realistic sequence uh, so, so that you wouldn't get laughed at, particularly by the attorneys who are going to be ultimately paying for the streaming service that airs your show. Uh, so that's and of course, you know, if Tyler Perry Studios wants to, there's this new thing where I look at other podcasters like Jesus and Mero, and now, you know, they're on TV and, and Kid Fury and, and Chris Hales, they, they're having uh, a show for the read that's going to come out on Fuse. So Tyler Perry, if you really want to step into the new age, the new millennium, the new wave, 
you can always have Jesse McCoy and Sean Carter, the brothers-in-law, TV show. Great idea. Pay us a budget. Get us nice wardrobes and all that stuff. Uh, we'll bring our own hair. And, <laughs> we go and, and, and here is the premise, right? We used to have a dry cleaner, and then we moved on up <laughs> to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> I'm, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just... <laughs> I think we just lost Tom Barry. <laughs> oh, please. You know, he doesn't make it. He's making that right now. He, 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 he stole our idea. You stole our idea, Tyler. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, people, hey, thanks so much. Look, we tried at the end to have a little, you know, to sort of, you know, ease some of the pain here. Um, you know, collectively, we're all going through. Uh, next one's going to be a much more exciting and uplifting podcast. We'll probably talk about the failed impeachment of Trump. So right. that'll be something to look forward to. Get you know, get the laughs on. Right, right. And uh, maybe even a hurricane or something happened. So hopefully it'll be uh, some more positive news next time. But thanks everybody for showing up. Yes, absolutely. And if you have not already done so, be sure to like us on Facebook at Brothers in Law. That's B R U T H A S N L A W. Also, feel free to uh, comment to us. We we don't bite unless you say something really crazy. Uh, so, so definitely feel free to comment. Let us know if there are things that you want to talk about or you want discussed on the show, or if you have ideas about people that you want to be on the show. Uh, cause we had a nice little run of famous people who were on and we can certainly, uh, trigger that to come back. Or if you know somebody who is looking to sponsor a podcast, you know, just 70 cents a day can sponsor a <laughs> <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we'll negotiate from there. I'm, just, I'm obviously going to be in charge of negotiation because Jesse's crazy here. I would take care of that, people. But hey, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you next time.